0: Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast, Monday mailbag edition. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack, we're all on the show. Uh, there's a lot to get to. There's been an eventful week for the Oregon Ducks uh, across all sports, it feels like. Uh, and that's going to be reflected here on the show.
1: Yeah. Uh, both basketball team seasons officially over. Uh, we will do a I guess season, uh, final recap on the women's pod on Wednesday, Jared and I will do that one. So if you want to throw questions by the way up on Twitter that you want us to answer regarding that, go ahead. We'll probably field a couple. Um, but yeah, that'll be Wednesday. But today we're doing football. We're doing men's basketball, baseballs, maybe the hottest team in the Oregon athletics department. (laughs) So we're going to close with baseball talk, Jared smiling. Um, but first we are gonna start with some football recruiting with a question from at uh, Black Dreams. I believe this is a multi-time question asker. So thank you for listening and, and participating. His question with Aaron Nolan announcing his top seven including Oregon and a commitment date rapidly approaching. What is the percentage chance that he will be committing to Oregon? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Also thank you to all four question askers. We have a clean sweep using the hashtag. That's great. makes it a lot easier for me to find. Um, <clears throat> yeah, to this question, I think it's. I think I wanted to start here in part because when we talked about what would make a recruiting success for spring, one of the items I no- I noted was, let's figure out who these top quarterback targets for Oregon are. Um, and shortly after I made that comment, we see Nolan include Oregon in a top seven. Uh, I don't know how great I feel about it, but Matt, I will toss this one to you. Like, are, are, is Oregon in the driver's seat? Close to the driver's seat? Are you feeling like they have a good chance? I know you hate giving numbers, but Maybe give a number if you could feel comfortable doing it. <laughs> uh, they're not the
0: favorites. I I will I will say that um, it it doesn't feel like uh, they are in the top spot. He's been to Arkansas. He's been to most recently Miami. Um, he's gone to Clemson. Um, he I think goes to Ohio State here in about a week. Um, He's been to Texas A&M and he's been to Alabama. Um, To my knowledge, he's not been to Oregon. He's making a commitment April 8th. It's going to be a tough sledding for him to get to the University of Oregon before April 8th if he's going to Ohio State um, this coming weekend. Maybe he does, but I just have a hard time seeing a guy from Georgia um, pick a school across the country that he has not visited for a commitment um seventh best quarterback in the country according to 24 7 sports a top 60 recruit in the country regardless of position this is certainly a high profile player um his player comp from andrew Evans, the director of scouting here at 24 7 sports compares him to washington quarterback michael banks jr um that's a pretty good player to be compared mm-hmm. to um has thrown for like 8,000 yards in three seasons of high school football. I just don't see it being Oregon. I'd love to be wrong here, but when you don't visit a school and then you make a commitment date, it's really rare to see that kid who's seen every other place choose
1: a school he has not been to. Any insights you want to add, Jared, or are you in agreement?
2: I was just going to agree with, with it all, basically. I mean, it's kind of – especially the last part where it's – the kid puts down a school but hasn't visited. Like, the writing's kind of on the wall. Like, it looks good. It looks good on on the, the top seven or top eight graphic uh, for Aaron Nolan, which is the best name in the class by far. But even if, if, if he did visit, you're still trying to get a, a kid from G- Georgia to come all the way to Oregon over schools like Clemson and Miami and all these more, you know in reach schools so there are certainly other fish in the sea for oregon in the quarterback but i think i don't see air nolan coming close to uh to eugene
0: i kind of wonder the like the, the aspect of landing a top five top ten quarterback um in this recruiting class for oregon um I mean, they're in the they're in there for the number one guy, Dylan uh, Rayola from Pinnacle High School in Phoenix, the quarterback for Deuce Robinson, five-star tight end that's still kind of considering Oregon right now for twenty twenty-three. Um, they're in there for Elijah Brown for from Matter Day. I mean, they've thrown an offer his way. They're they're in the picture there, but I just don't think a top ten guy this season is probably going to happen. A in large part because those are the only two there's three guys in the top 10 class that haven't committed yet um so the top 10 is pretty much done oh yeah four jaden davis i forgot jaden davis um and then you look at the top 20 and it's over half that group is done as well so a lot of these commitments have already happened and i i feel like if oregon's going to land a guy it's probably going to be that that middle tier player who you've seen plenty of times show up at at a school not just oregon and be really good right away and also middle tier guys they just don't pan out ever Um, i I think that's probably where oregon's going to find a high school player and it's almost looking like just a long view out it feels like they're going to add a a mid-tier guy plus a portal guy this this coming off season
1: yeah, I'm in agreement, Matt, in terms of, and that's kind of why I wanted to start this, because I think I figured we would all be in agreement, which that Air Noland, which I maybe skipped over. His first name is A-I-R, Air, which is great for a quarterback. Um, so ran through that, but I don't think he'll be playing in Oregon. I think I, I knew that was going to be, or I figured that would be the consensus. And I thought we could have a conversation about where does Oregon go at quarterback in 2024? And I, Matt has done a nice job of outlining, like, if it's not Raiola, who's from Arizona, or Brown, who's from Matter Day in California. There's not a lot of guys with West Coast ties that are still up here near the top 20, top 25 quarterbacks. Isaac Wilson um, might be familiar, younger brother of Zach Wilson, NFL quarterback. Uh, He's probably gonna, I would imagine, end up staying in state in Utah. Uh, I know that probably the name, and I know it's way farther down here. Uh, A couple names to know: uh, Michael Van Buren, who's the 21st ranked quarterback, and then way further down is Luke Moga, who's an up and comer who I know uh, Oregon has offered and is involved in the recruitment. He's like 53rd on this list. Um, <clears throat> those are kind of more the names I think you're, you're probably going to see Oregon taking a look at or, or maybe entering some recruitments that they haven't so far with with guys that are kind of, yeah, in that rank 25th nationally at the quarterback position to, to 40th range. So uh, not to get too down on it because Oregon already has, assuming they stick around, Ty Thompson. And Austin Novis said, "Who are much more highly rated than anybody that Oregon has? A, I think a realistic chance of getting, unless they do pull the, you know, the um, rabbit out of the hat and land Riola or Brown, who are again two of the top three quarterbacks in the country. And it's possible, but I, I think there's also a more likely scenario where they they end up taking, as Matt said, a, a little bit less of a recruit, you know, lesser of a recruit from a ranking perspective, and then hit the portal. Which I think they were going to hit the portal pretty much regardless, based upon kind of the way the roster is set up, but." we'll see what they do from a prep situation. I mean, I also wonder like if they get to a spot where Ty and Austin agree to come back and they get to a point where they find someone the portal they like, this is a question for you, Matt, is there a possibility they don't take a prep quarterback in 24 if they just don't like anybody and stick with the th- those three players for, for that season? And then maybe recruit two in 2025.
0: Yeah. if If, They get Ty Thompson and Austin Novosad. I think the big part there would be if if they feel very confident that one of those two will be the starter in 2024 and that that guy would be good in that role. Then I think they go and they try and find probably like a grad transfer that um, we've seen it at Washington. That Sac State quarterback went there. Um, I think we saw it with, Who's the Oregon State quarterback that transferred to Ohio State this season? Um uh, uh, he was he was hurt Gabby. Gebia, yeah, Gebbia, yeah. yeah. Gebbia. um go out and find a guy that's like I played, I'm I had I had my moments, but I want to play at big boy football. And if that means I'm the backup, I'm okay with that. I want a chance to win the job, but if I lose it. I'm okay being the backup at, at a big boy school or at the, at the highest level of a ball, because he wants to experience that. Um, that's like, as crazy as that sounds, that's like a market. Now there, there are quarterbacks every year that are looking to do that. Um, oh. I mean, th- that would be the transfer portal guy I would go after if they don't, if, you know, if they're not going to take a high school guy and they feel confident that that Ty and, and, um, Austin are, are one of those two guys are the player. Because if they go portal and it's a an elite dude, I think, and you don't sign a high school guy, I think one of Ty and Austin are probably gone. Like yeah. I, I have a hard time looking at them saying, like, wait a minute, I just put especially Ty. I went through two different coach, you know, two different coaches, two different quarterback battles with transfers. And I've done my time and now you're going into adding a third guy, you know, to take a spot. Like, I'm sorry, I'm out. Like I I would be really surprised if he stayed.
1: If they take a plug and play quarterback, it, it's a pretty clear indication of where they see their current quarterback situation, yes. which is they don't think anyone is capable of starting. And so if, if yes. that, again, this, we're not talking about things that are literally probably a year mm-hmm. from now because they won't be really hitting the portal until, you know, maybe next year just you know, January, February, um, and maybe, you know, to get a feel for where they are. But yeah, no, I, I, I think I think it's worth having this conversation now because we are going to get through April and more of these top quarterback commits in, uh, or quarterbacks are going to commit in 2024. And the pool is just going to get smaller and we're going to have to get a sense again of like, I think, as I said earlier, it's pivotal by the end of this month to at least know, okay, these are maybe the, this is the hierarchy. And I think we have kind of an idea but there's still no exact clarity of like who's the most likely to commit from 2024. Like I think that's how I'd put it. like I, I genuinely don't know like how I would handicap which of the guys we talked about are most likely to end up at Oregon in twenty four. I hope by the end of April we can we can kind of have a further clarity on that discussion and, and some of that will help inform perhaps what they'd look to do in the portal if they want to go hit the portal. and obviously a big part of that's going to be the development of Thompson and ad, um behind Bo this fall. so uh, quarterback position, always interesting. And I think from a recruiting perspective, this is maybe going to be a little bit of a different year than what we've seen the last couple, at least, or at least last year, where where they went and went from a five-star, maybe the best quarterback in the country, to a very, very good top four-star recruit in the blink of an eye. And maybe that's also worth bringing up, that guys are committed to other schools, but that didn't stop Will Stein and company from flipping somebody. So there could be a guy here who's committed elsewhere who ends yeah, up that's a, being an Oregon target. That's a good point. That's a good point. They may flip somebody. Yeah, yeah, so. All right, we're going to jump to the second question here from at Ross underscore uh, Ross probably gets almost too much play on our podcast. I feel like we have a question from him every time. So that's not Ross's fault because he continues to ask, but that's probably my fault for picking him. Um, looking back on the interview with Dan Lanning, what were your thoughts on his responses to two particular questions? And he wanted to know what our thoughts were on the interviewing coaches to see what they know in addition to being interested in hiring them and two, the background checking portal players. Um, And he he did use the hashtag, so thank you, Ross, for doing that. Um, I'm happy that, first off, I'm happy someone had questions following up on our pod last week. Um, I thought that went pretty darn well. I thought it was fun, and and I know we've seen some really positive responses from folks online, so appreciate that. Um, And to Ross's point, like, the, the first point in particular was one that I know after we finished the interview, that was one of the first things we talked about is being like that was kind of interesting was just that, you know, Dan kind of pointed that, you know, an in interview process, you're going to talk to a lot of people, some of them, you're you're really serious about hiring and some of them you, you think are really good at their job and maybe know some insights that you kind of want to pick their brain a little bit in the interview process, like, um, makes a lot of logical sense. But again, because I haven't really been a part of many college sports uh, interview processes, that would be zero. I had no idea that that was kind of maybe an insight you're, you're trying to trying to garner. So I found that one to be pretty interesting. And then, uh, you know, the second one, we've heard a little bit about kind of what they're looking for in portal in the past, but for him to go in depth in terms of some of the, the difficulty of a finding intimate knowledge of players, which was what he said is valuable in, in background checking for portal players, but also that. It's difficult to maybe differentiate between is this program going to be upfront and honest with uh, us about this player or not? And that's where you need to have some sort of maybe relationship on that previous staff or a recruiting relationship built over time or, or some relationship to someone in his past. Because as he said, I think probably better than I'll make an attempt to say, of like, you might recruit a player from a school who wants that player to come back so they might not tell you very positive things about that player because they don't want you to be that aggressive in, in pursuing them so yeah and i thought both of those good good catch ross i thought those were two of the more um notable kind of elements of this that that that, that uh coach landing shared
2: yeah it's certainly noticeable uh just like just like eric said you know when the podcast finished i think uh you know the interviewing coaches to see what they know. I think that was one of the first things that we brought up. Um, definitely a savvy move by Dan. Definitely something that I've heard of in the past by coaches, not only just in football but in other sports. Um, and it was kind of fun to hear that. Yeah, that's that's a real thing. It's not just kind of like a rumor or anything like that. It it goes on behind the scenes. Uh, and and you know why not? Why not do it? Um, because if you hear something that's interesting and say, oh well, I never really thought about that, but. Maybe the guy doesn't fit the the personality or uh, has the work ethic or whatever the case that Dan says no to hiring them. Overall, um, yeah, you you want to take advantage of that. Um, and for the background check of the portal players, you know we we've, we've heard this before. That wasn't necessarily the most intriguing thing because Dan has often talked about the relationships that he, that uh, you need to figure out if you have with these guys before you recruit them to your school. And you look at most of the guys. That um, that Oregon has added through the transfer portal this past season, most of them have somewhat of a relationship. Uh, Jordan Birch was a guy Dan recruited hard at Georgia. Uh, Evan Williams, obviously, I don't really think I need to go into that one. Tez Johnson, another one, pretty good relationship there. Um, and it's not to say that all of these guys have relationships, but there are some some clear ones that you can look back and be like, okay, yeah, there's there's a clear relationship there, but. You know, behind the scenes, Dan has that uh, notebook full of coaches and full of guys that he knows that maybe he'd like to hire, but all those guys are connections. And for a guy a player like Taishim Johnson, you know, that's 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 a guy that Dan and, and George are probably recruited out of high school. That's certainly somebody who I'm sure Dan and company have um, a relationship with. Yep. Go ahead, Eric.
1: Wilson uh, Wilson Love also worked with Taishim for a year.
2: Yep, at, at Ole Miss, which means yep. that um Jaworski Beckham worked there and he and his son um, can't remember his first name who was on Oregon's roster.
1: I I think it's DJ Beckham is that right?
2: DJ Beckham I have the roster right in front of me 31 yeah I don't know he's not there oh yeah 35 DJ Beckham So that means that he was there with Taishim for a year so yeah there's there's all these connections and it it, it wasn't necessarily overly surprising to hear that but um, to hear him go a little bit more in depth than normal was nice
0: i i think the interview part um that's just like smart practice because um i've talked with a couple of professional friends that i have um i've talked at length with some family members of mine um when job opportunities come up whether it's um, in my current role or something that's happened previously like do the interview, even if like, you're not really hundred percent locked in on the job that's coming, you know, that the company is coming after you, you know, want you to know, interview, or even if you don't think that you're qualified for the job, do the interview because you'll learn a lot about yourself. You'll learn a lot about, um, you know, how that company operates, if it's in the same field or whatnot. And I've, I've been told like, Straight up by coaches at Oregon, whether it's football or other sports, that they've done an interview for a job full well knowing that they're not going to take that job just to, A, get a peek into uh, what what Dan's talking about, what a program, how they operate, see if they can gain anything from it from from their end, but also to start practicing for an opportunity that comes down the road that they feel like is going to be their job um that they could get so i i'm all for this i think this is smart practice i think you have to do this because d- one of the things that dan talks about a lot when it's recruiting or when it's assistant coaches or what have you is relationships building relationships and maintaining those relationships and i i wish if we could go back and follow up a couple questions this would be one because i'd be curious to say like what he would say is if was there ever a point where you maybe did an interview with somebody or you interviewed for a job mm. and that conversation locked in, uh, you know, the idea that I don't I'm not going to work with this person now, but I want to be able to maybe have him on the list of available people I want to work with down the road when something happens. I'd be curious if that's kind of
1: ever happened before. Matt will uh will log that one away for our uh, our second podcast next spring in in March hopefully.
0: Yeah, he 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 did say uh he'll be back next year. Uh he, next yeah. year. So we He's... will hold him to uh January 2nd of 2024 because January 1st they'll be in the college football playoffs.
1: Oh wow. Matt Matt really set <laughs> high I'm expectations. <laughs> and, and uh no, I I hope I hope he I, it seemed like the interview went well. I hope he comes back another time. We really appreciate it. I know there were uh, – those were just – I just wanted to give an opportunity to kind of reflect on some of the things. If there's, is there anything else you guys thought was pretty interesting from the podcast you wanted to talk about or should we head to break?
0: I think you just got to go and listen to it. Um, yeah. it. It's an opportunity for him to kind of open up a little bit. I I think Jared's question of of the playlist um, – <laughs> right. I mean, he even, like, joked with us. Like, he didn't – he asked us. Like, you didn't think I'd open up to you, Did you know, did you? Like, because yeah. he's a very, you know, short-answered – you know, it, he even told Eric, like, I, I, I'm not going to a- answer questions that don't give us a competitive advantage. And, you know, that makes it hard for us sometimes um, in the media to kind of come up with a way to, to get him to be personable and to show who he is and – um, and what have you, and also get him to answer questions and because it's going to help the program. But um, I, I thought we did a good job with that, and I would highly encourage others, if you haven't watched it uh, or you haven't listened to it, it's on YouTube, it's on podcast platforms, wherever you listen to them, um, go back and, and listen to that as well. All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we'll continue
1: this edition of the Autzenautilus podcast. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. Matt Freem, Eric
0: Scopel, Jared Mack. Two questions in, a couple more to go.
1: I'm realizing I didn't do a great job of diversifying our question askers because here's another familiar name, um, at Nash underscore Duccaneer. Men's Hoops question. He asks, if you could have led one former Oregon men's basketball player on this year's team who would it have been and why? And then Nash says, I would have wanted Peyton Pritchard simply because he was a reliable scorer and this team needed that. Hashtag odds and Audibles. You guys are the basketball guys. I'll let you guys answer first. And if I have any lingering thoughts, I'll I'll throw in some, some names from my childhood, maybe that would have been fun to have had.
2: I think, I mean, it's a it's a good overall question from Nash Ducaneer. I don't... I don't blame him for wanting Peyton Pritchard. I think that would be a, a wonderful addition. Uh, I wouldn't go with it, although I, I did think Neither about I. it. I think I would really want Dylan Brooks on this team. I need somebody Damn who's... Damn it,
1: Jared. I know.
2: He's, that was, it that was the, also
1: who I was going to pick. That was also my name, too. That's yeah.
2: Like, I mean, it's it's the clear-cut cookie-cutter guy that they needed on this team. Uh, they needed a wing who was 6'6 to 6'7. Someone who could shoot. Someone who was uh you know pardon my french but a badass and wouldn't stand down to somebody um which this whole team kind of did all season long by not jumping into games and you know kind of letting other teams do it do what they please at points um they needed an enforcer they needed somebody who could make a three they needed somebody who other teams feared going into a game where You know, if a team feared Nafali Dante, they just double or triple teamed him, and then that was it. Like Oregon was going to have to make a perimeter jump shot, which we all know they couldn't do. Um, Peyton Pritchard was a good, would be a good addition because he can hit a shot. I thought about Anthony Mathis, but that would require somebody to be able to make a pass, which rarely happened this past season. Uh, And then Brooks also adds a lot on the defensive end. He rebounds, uh, plays individual defense one on one very well. Um, just guys like that are, are really helpful if you look at what Brooks does in the NBA now with the Memphis Grizzlies. It's the same, similar role. Just an enforcer, a guy who probably takes way too many shots, but at least hits them at a decent clip. Um, but I think that is much needed on this past year's team. So I guess Dylan Brooks, I think that's the easy answer for me.
0: I, I said Dylan Brooks because I felt like You'd be, you'd be solving the problem that you kind of already have a solution for. Um, I'm a big believer in Will Richardson being your third best option on the team, being very good in that role, being elite in that role. Um, go back to his two best seasons where his freshman and sophomore year. His freshman year, he played uh, with Peyton Pritchard and Chris Duarte, two really good one and two options, both in the NBA. His second best year, Chris Duarte, Eugene Amarui. Um, Both those guys are currently in the NBA um, And Will Richardson was Really good at distributing The ball at spot up shooting So you make Will Richardson better if you find a player to Surround him with which only elevates The program even more Um, I, I think I would go Brooks because While Nate Biddle was Solid at the four I don't think He that was a weak point in the lineup For Oregon um, Biddle clearly is the better center For his personal play As we saw in the NIT A much better fit for him um, And that's not to say he's better than Dante. But I would take Brooks You play more Biddle uh, at, the, at the five um, Brooks can also slide down to, the, to play the small forward position Which gives you a little bit more size you know, So Kuznard is, is at your shooting guard spot He can play inside out um, and Jared said it best, like this team didn't have the asshole. And Dylan Brooks is an asshole. But unfortunately, or fortunately for Oregon, is he was their guy that everyone hated. And he's the player that if he played for Duke or if he played for Arizona, or he's Kirk Harissa. It, but because he played for Oregon, everyone loves him. But if he didn't play for Oregon, everyone would hate him playing against him because he was good, He would have big games. He was flamboyant, talked a lot of trash, and he just did the things that really annoyed you. And really good teams have those types of guys. Maybe they're not like straight-up villains, but they're guys that it's like, ah, God, we got to play this guy again. He always kills us, or he always makes that big play and gets to celebrate. Like, they didn't have that guy this season that had that persona, um, that had that mentality of like this is my team i'm gonna let everyone know it on my team and also the other team and on all the fans um plays into the you know the role and and backs it up um that's the important thing backing it up uh so i would have gone dylan brooks um it's I, i i think you could pick pritchard i think you could put pick brooks shoot i would pick elgin cook um on this team i i would pick i mean tyler dorsey on this team would have been something special jordan bell on this team would have been something special
1: um how far back but, do you want to go matt because I, I i was gonna i was gonna suggest a player i'm curious <laughs> on, on how you think luke jackson would fit on this team that'd be a really good one i mean I, yeah go ahead. sophomore year luke
0: jackson was phenomenal i mean He'd he do a lot of stuff. I almost wonder though, like, would it be like his senior year where he had just enough talent around him where they were competitive, but they relied so much on him that he couldn't do it all,
1: like. Well, that, yeah, that year with Aaron Brooks when he got hurt. Right, and I think they ended up winning the NIT or playing in the championship. I can't remember what the outcome was. They, were um, close.
0: they lost in the in the quarterfinals.
1: I just remember, well, I remember the Colorado game was, was yes. the one where he scored like 28 unanswered himself. Anyway, uh, no, I, I I was just a, I think Brooks is the answer because of the temperament, which I think was a big part of issues this year. Matt's done a good job laying it out. I, I have not been a big fan of everything Dylan Brooks has done professionally. Uh, it's been a really tough year. If you follow some of that stuff closely, There's yeah. been several things that have been not to people's liking probably, but and I'll tell you people who love him there in Memphis, he is, uh, I think people don't necessarily like his shot selection, but they love his temperament. And that's sort of a thing that is kind of rare to a certain degree too, of like having a player that, you know, A, won't ever kind of um, step down in competition and B, will be the kind of the one who, um, I guess, initiates conflict. Like those are things that, can be a real positive in sports. I know people, as Matt said, hate those players when they're going against them because, you know, Kirk Risha uh, from Arizona, people hated him. People don't like Dylan Brooks. People don't like Draymond Green. People don't like uh, Grayson Allen. And Grayson Allen, some of that stuff was a little different, uh, maybe closer to some of the professional Dylan Brooks stuff. Um, But, you know, in general, I, I think that temperament's important. I thought Tyler Dorsey uh, was a name that made sense, too, if you're just looking at pure shooters that have been here. If you could just uh, take Mr. March from that tournament run and put him on this year's team where he was making every shot, it felt like. It was the only thing I could think of similar was the Tahina Pow Pow run in in this year's end of regular season where they just didn't miss for a month. Um, And then a couple of names, Matt, that are way back machine, but if we're just talking best three-point shooters I've seen, that's another thing I thought of. How about – downtown Tarek Brown. Well, I was going to go a little bit later. That's a good one. I was going to go uh, Anthony Lever, uh, Fat Lever's son, who I think is yep. the all time three point percentage shooter. He was, made like 50% of his threes. Uh, and then James, James Davis? G- that, that was <laughs> <laughs> yep, James Davis, who was an awesome guy.
0: I have no idea who any of these guys are. We're just dating ourselves.
1: Yeah, these were guys that were playing when we were in high school that were uh, very good shooters on some pretty darn good Oregon teams uh, with Luke Rittenauer and, and uh, Luke Jackson and Fred Jones. So. Uh, yeah, definitely. I said I was going to go back to childhood because those were some, there's some fun names that would that would fit. Because Oregon has always had this is the thing that's tough, Matt. Is Oregon's always had really good three point shooters, and to have a season yeah. where it's such a issue is kind of tough. Or yeah, multiple seasons where they're it's lacking. Multiple it. So, seasons now. You know, it's this has been historically a thing that you would point to under Ernie certainly, and then the first most of the Dana Altman era was like they're always going to have good three point shooters, and that's just not I- been the case.
0: How could we not mention Tuan Porter?
1: Oh, I yeah, mean, the, the man stars.
0: single-handedly destroyed
1: UNLV in the Sweet 16 with his three pointers. He's also the Pac-12's all-time uh, three-point makes record holder. Uh, uh, I, I actually think that would be a bad fit, though. Can we be honest? Because <laughs> that you mean key... adding
0: a five-six point guard.
1: Yeah, isn't a good idea. (laughs) I I don't. I I don't know if that works, especially because. Well, if he could just shoot threes, maybe. But he, uh, he, by the end, really required the ball a lot, which is again not ideal for a five-six player to be like a forty percent usage rate player. But you know, what are you gonna do? (laughs) Also before Jared's time.
0: Also before Mm -hmm. Jared's time, I remember watching game cast on Yahoo when I was in the dorms. Refresh. The first game of the season because a game wasn't on TV, not all games were on TV at that point. And Tawan Porter, who I think no one really knew who he was, had made like nine threes in his first game ever as an Oregon duck.
1: Pretty crazy, I think he set the school record for threes made in his first game. Uh, which is yes. which is pretty hard to do. All right, Jared, just some things you know way more about than we do, so you don't feel maybe left out of the weird conversations from 2003 Oregon basketball players. <laughs> nice all right from at theo winter uh and by the way before we ask the question i i, I saw on social media that uh jared and theo had a little bit bump uh bumped into each other over at uh at some baseball and uh jared nice to see a fan right
2: yeah always nice to see a fan uh fans of the odds and audibles podcast yeah i met theo at pk park before uh before first pitch took a nice picture you can see it on my twitter um, good guy always happy to meet a fan always happy to meet somebody who uh, won't just yell at me from the sideline so <laughs> it was good good to meet theo and uh, great guy so happy to happy to do it
1: all right theo getting this question in here uh, a day after meeting legendary uh oregon podcaster jared mack a big day for theo and a big day mm-hmm. because his question will be answered on monday um from theo i realize northwestern state isn't exactly top tier but with the bats going off the way they did and the pitching getting a bit of a confidence booster after this past series, on a scale of 1 to 10, what's the confidence level to take this series against Arizona? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Uh, they won all four games, Jared. We talked about it last week. This is what we hoped would happen. They did it. Uh, and how does this kind of, to Theo's point, how does this impact their season?
2: Well, I think uh, overall in the season, it certainly helps. You'd like to win more than you lose, or at least that's what they tell me. Um, in terms of the confidence rating going into this Arizona se- series, it's probably like a six or a seven. Um, I think Arizona is a solid program. All the games are going to be down in Tucson. Um, I think it was really important that Oregon is on the six game winning streak and really important that the bats came alive. Um, you know, they outscored Northwestern State, uh, what was it, 63 to seven? over this four-game stretch. They hit double digits in three of their four games, every single one except for Sunday where they went where they won five to nothing. Uh, Pitching-wise, I thought it was great. Jay Stoffel, they put in Logan Mercado, a bullpen arm into the rotation, stretched him out through six and 109 pitches on uh, Saturday during game one. Uh, I think Mercado's got to stay in the rotation because uh, there's been a lot of struggles elsewhere. Uh, for Matthew Grabman and Leo Ullman, the, the other two starters, true freshmen, I thought they threw well. Obviously, it's against Northwestern State, so it's not necessarily Pac-12 competition. But, you know, there are some some good things to take away from that. Um, but I think the offense is the main main show here. It was very reminiscent to last season's 2022, their offense, um, where, you know, they could score anywhere from 8 to 14 runs a night. And even if their pitching woes were really terrible, they'd be okay because they're just scoring more than the other team, which is always what you'd like to do. Um, And uh, in front of that all is Tanner Smith. Tanner Smith broke the Oregon all-time career hits record this past weekend. He also broke another record just a day or two later uh, with hitting his fifth straight or five straight games of the home run, breaking Kenyon Jovan's record of four straight games of the home run. In his last six games, the six games Oregon has won, he is, let me think of this off the top of my head, 14 for 23, 15 RBIs and five home runs, which is a 6 batting average. Good. Good. Um, I think that'll do. But yeah, I think if they c- continue to keep this offense against Arizona, I think it should be, I think it should be a really good series, um, three game set that begins Friday at six p.m. It's late there in the desert. But I, I, you know, six or seven on the scale. I think it's important that Oregon got these four wins over Northwestern State, but you know, it it really matters what they do in Pac-12 competition because they have Arizona, Oregon State, and then Stanford on their schedule, which are three of the better teams in the Pac-12, which will really have a, you know, we'll know after these next three weeks how good Oregon is as a team. Is
1: there a thing, I know last week talked about some of the pitching disappointment. Is there a thing maybe just big picture encapsulating, what is it, 22 games or something? So I think I saw 15 and seven. Yeah,
2: 15 and seven,
1: 22. Is 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 there a thing that maybe you're most, Encouraged by, like, I'm, because I last we focus on the negatives. I know you just focused on a really positive weekend, but like, is there an area that in general you come away going, like, wow, they've, they've, they kind of maybe are a little bit ahead of where you thought they'd be in, in terms of, with, I don't know, you, you can let me know. I don't, I don't know enough about the team to have an answer, but like, is there uh, the middle of the order is better than you thought it would be? The, the middle of the infield, I don't know.
2: Gosh. Um, I would just say the bullpen. I think the bullpen has been better than I expected it to be. There weren't a lot of names going into it. Uh, Matt Dallas was the reigning Pac-12 pitcher of the week. Uh, Josh Malaris hasn't allowed a run all season long through 11 innings. He's got 18 strikeouts on top of it. And then there's been some good freshman arms. The lefties are a bit concerning. They walk a lot of people, and they're true freshmen, so you never know how they're going to do. They're really up and down. Um, I would say that Oregon is rounding into a form that I wholeheartedly expected at the start of the season. Uh, i wouldn't say anything is blowing me away i wouldn't say anything is making me feel overly comfortable uh the offense although the last six games has been great uh, that's exactly where i expected them to be going into the season you still have guys hitting in the lower 200s or mid 200s um, this is a lineup that last season scored the most runs in oregon history averaged over seven runs a game hit the second most home runs in the pac-12 scored the second most runs in the pac-12 so and they return with some of their really good hitters so um, these are numbers that should be posted as they are these last couple of games, um, but yeah, I, I guess give me the bullpen as an option where I'm I'm a little bit pleased by it, but I, I think this team should be really good, and you know we'll really see if they are these next three weeks.
0: Cool. What's the?
2: I'm I'm curious, just kind of
0: as the season's gone on, our um, I know you've talked that. You know behind the scenes that your readership is up for baseball mm. this season um what's this been your your read on the pulse of just the fan base here are we seeing more people in the stands this year than we were two years ago were we are we seeing more interest in, in the program it feels like there is because i'll admit like the tail end of George Hortons time at Oregon was painful for me to watch because it was boring baseball station to station And like you mentioned last year they were prolific in hitting you know homers and ball coming off the bat. A lot of those guys are back this season. Just do you feel like uh, a, an increase in fan interest for for Oregon baseball?
2: Yeah, I would say so. I I would say on an average there's probably more people in the stands at PK Park than there were two years ago and probably even more uh, last season. Definitely two years ago because of the pandemic, but definitely more than last season as well. (laughs) Right. Um, The pandemic doesn't help. But, yeah, I mean, uh, Wazikowski has turned this team into one that is fun to watch, uh, especially when they're hitting right. Uh, It's a deep lineup. Uh, plenty of home runs, plenty of doubles, plenty of good plays in the outfield by, you know, Bryce Betcher, Colby Shade, um, just two tremendous fielders. But again, at this point in the season, it truly depends on how good the team is. So if Oregon continues to win and they I don't know, they sweep Arizona and then they play Oregon State at home, you know, I would expect there to be a good crowd, people traveling from Corvallis and people from Eugene or the surrounding areas to come and watch the team. Because uh, if they, you know, if they have a good series against Arizona, there's a chance they might be ranked. And Oregon State's kind of gone off to a semi-slow start this year, but anyways, I think at this point in the season, it depends on how good the team is and how good the weather is. Because when the weather is good, people enjoy coming out to the ballpark. And PK Park is a lovely venue. It's based, you know, basically brand new in terms of baseball scales. Um, Cheap beer, too, every once in a while. So I think that's a nice marketing point. But, yeah, when the weather's nice and the team is good, there's there's a solid amount of fans. Uh, last season was the same the same thing. So, you know, again, as long as they continue to win, I think people will come out. And, as, you know, as long as the baseball gods give us some good weather, then more people will show up. But overall, I would say that there's a bit more of an interest in, this, in the team this year than there was last season. It's good to see Good to see.
0: All right. Uh, That's going to do it for us here on this edition of the and Audible's podcast. Thank you for submitting your questions. Um, Thank you for listening to the show, watching the show. And, hey, it's been a while since we've had a lot of football questions. So I'm going to challenge – if you've gotten all the way through this podcast, you are one of our diehard listeners. So thank you. Um, I'm going to challenge you guys. Next Monday, let's try and get four football questions. We haven't had – Mm-hmm. A football-dominated podcast mailbag question uh, submission for a while. Uh, let's see if we can get that back. I'm going to challenge see what see what happens here.
1: Yeah, and not to mention that that next Monday, that's like the eve of the start of spring again. So, yeah, that will be a good mm-hmm. time to get some questions at.
0: All right. Until then, keep listening to the Austin Audibles podcast.
1: Talk to you later, folks. Peace.